Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Wednesday Bible Study. We are excited to continue our journey through the book of Genesis. My name is Rick Burgess, in case we haven't met. Good to see you. Uh, we are coming to you from the uh, the studios of the Rick and Bubba Show, uh, which is I'm the co-host of that show. Those of you that may not know that, uh, you can find all kinds of information about the show by going to rickandbubba.com. Our focus today, though, is unpacking uh, the Holy Word of God. We've been doing that on uh, Wednesdays, just about every single Wednesday if I'm not on vacation. Uh, uh, and we're, we're, we're working through right now for the last eight months. Matter of fact, today we finished eight months uh, that we have been in the book of Genesis. And as I told you, uh, chapter 33 uh, will be our chapter today if you want to go ahead and turn there. Uh, we want to um, talk about a few things to get you updated. Uh, themanchurch.com kind of brings you this Bible study. That's how it started. Uh, when we were working on a men's discipleship strategy uh, at my local church, and uh, we started uh, that strategy featuring men gathering in services designed for men, not necessarily events, but but gatherings, uh, and the men get together, they have services, so they're all corporately worshiping together, being challenged by a, a teacher, uh, and then they leave those, those corporate gatherings uh, with other men, and then they get into smaller groups with each other, and they work through curriculum. Now, in, when we first started this, there really, there really weren't any curriculum available uh, for men that we could find. We went through some books, and we certainly did some expository teaching through the Word of God, but, uh, but we, we noticed pretty quick there was a need for curriculum. And uh, so at themanchurch.com, when we took this strategy nationally, uh, we thought curriculum needs to be part of it. So we have developed three 40-week curriculum that you can find at themanchurch.com. Uh, there are 530-plus churches all over the uh, country and around the world where men are going through one of those three curriculum right now uh, in churches that are just about to start. And if you need information on that, we'll help you. We'll even provide the teachers for your gatherings uh, and, of course, as I told you, the curriculum as well. We even have a kickoff video where I can kick it all off for you uh, without me even having to be there. So uh, it is truly a turnkey discipleship strategy for men. As we say, if you disciple men, you can change everything. And uh, we do not believe that you can ever disciple a man if you try to treat that man like he is a woman or a child. Men and women are equal, but they are wonderfully distinct and wonderfully not the same by God's own creation. So uh, so anyway, if you'd like to find out more, you can go there. We also have an app that is a great resource for you. If you go to themanchurch.com and look there at the top of the page, you'll see the Strive app. Click on that. You can download the app and try it for seven days to see if you like it. I just talked to a man moments ago out of America's Georgia who said, hey, we, we're using the app as, as a resource. I'm encouraging our men to get that because I'd love for them to have a daily devotion that is brand new. And I keep telling them, if the devotions are there, you can certainly do that every day, can't you, if it's provided. 
Well, the app provides that. It also has archives of this Bible study and and uh, also archives of other Bible studies and sermons from other men, articles uh, that uh, you know would would impact men as we continue to to grow spiritually. The Strive app is a great resource. If you decide you are going to keep it after seven days, uh, then there'll be a, a, a small monthly charge, and then as I said, it, it is updated weekly. So if you'd also like to know where are some of the teachers going. Uh, from themanchurch.com. Got some of those for you, uh, and you can find one near you because I have people all the time that will contact me and say, can you let me know if anybody if there's a church in my market that's doing this? My church isn't doing it. Uh, well, one way to know where the churches are located is to go to events at themanchurch.com because you'll see these Man Church services uh, listed there, and if there's a church doing a service, then they're likely doing the host strategy. So here are some options for you. Uh, next week, Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, you can go to Landmark Church. Uh, they're doing the strategy. I know that for a fact. And Rich Wingo will speak at their next gathering coming up next week. Uh, I'll also be kicking off the men's discipleship strategy. This is the first one. So you could plug in here and start on day one on September the 8th. That is uh, next Thursday. And I'll be at Ridgecrest Baptist Church. And this is in Dothan, Alabama. That's the southern part of Alabama. Those of you in that area know that, the wiregrass. I'll be there uh, coming up on Thursday. So that's a great opportunity. Uh, way down uh, in, uh, in southern Florida, Webster, Florida, coming up on uh, 9-11, they're using that video I just mentioned. I'll be there, but not there. I won't be in person, but, but via video. I'll be kicking off the men's discipleship strategy there, and you can come and see that video that tells you exactly how it works. I'll give you a high-challenge message. And you can plug into their small groups as they start the curriculum on 9-11. Another 9-11 opportunity, Locust Fork, Alabama, Locust Fork Baptist Church. Uh, Andy Blanks will be there. That's, uh, uh, that's, a, that's up uh, in the kind of central northern uh, area of Alabama, not, not too far north, more central. Uh, Locust Fork, Alabama, those of you in that area, Blunt County around there, you can come see Andy Blanks at Locust Fork Baptist Church. He'll be kicking off uh, the men's discipleship strategy for them. Salem Heights Baptist Church, Laurel, Mississippi, uh, on September the 17th. Lance Ingram, if you're a fan of the Rick and Bubba show, he does Dr. Lou on the show. He'll be there speaking for them as, as they continue the men's discipleship strategy. And then on the 22nd of September, First Baptist Church, Opelika, Alabama, they're in year three of the discipleship strategy. Andy Blanks will be there. They're actually in our third curriculum right now and waiting on the fourth. And then on the 25th of September, Scott Dawson will be in Athens, Alabama at Friendship Church as uh, they uh, will be rolling. Uh, then on Startville, Mississippi, First Baptist Church, Andy Blanks will be there on September the 25th. And uh, that kind of gets you through the whole month of September. Find all those uh, by going to themanchurch.com and just clicking on events. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Let's turn to Genesis 33, and let's hear what the Lord has to say to us today. Uh, Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. Uh, we realize that you and you alone are worthy of our worship. Forgive us uh, when we worship other things. Uh, because there is nothing that compares to you. And thank you for what you continue to teach us as uh, we go back to the beginning, uh, you know, where you are laying out so many things. And as we have learned, the, the very first time that you speak on a topic is probably the, the moment when there is the most clarity 
And then you just continue to confirm that throughout the rest, throughout the rest of, of time and the rest of Scripture. So help us to understand um, the message of reconciliation today with other people. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. That theme will continue. If you remember last week in 32, which um, was a very, very powerful um, Bible study, man, it really impacted all of us and continues to impact people as I hear from people all over the country. Um, if you if you missed that last week, uh, rarely will I tell you this. You got to go back. You, you got to go back and catch that one. Don't don't miss last week. Don't don't let chapter thirty two get by. You know, there, there's times where I can prefer that you go back, and then there's these rare times when I when I say you must go back. So if you missed last uh, Wednesday, you go find that archive either on our podcast archives uh, there at Rick and Bubba's uh, podcast channel. Or go back to the YouTube channel and, and watch the archive from last week. It, it is a must. And you can also find that audio archived at, at BurgessMinistries.com under listen. All right, so here's what's happened. We know that Jacob was really, really, he had this daunting meeting with Esau that's coming up. The last time that he and Esau saw each other, Esau was threatening to kill him because he had deceived Esau um, not only out of his birthright with, with the stew, but he's also now he's deceived him out of his father's blessing, and the blessing in that culture was everything. Uh, and, and remember that God had told Rachel that Jacob was going to get the blessing anyway. Uh, but Rachel and, and Jacob, much like we do too many times, decided they would work their own plan. And so last week, this whole process, 20 years of God teaching Jacob about his deception and reminding Jacob that he was with him and that God had already decided uh, that Jacob would be the child of the continued covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob. And he, and he teaches him for 20 years. That you, you, do you ever wish that God would teach you quicker than that? I certainly have been there. Uh, there have been times when I'm like, Lord, when are when 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 are we going to be done with this? And you know what? The Lord has always returned to me in His Word or in the in the Holy Spirit. We will be done with it when you get it, <laughs> and until you get it, we're going to keep going. And uh, and many times He uses suffering to refine us. And late and, and Jacob has certainly been through suffering, and now he's working his way back to this encounter with Esau thinking that that's what he needed to get resolved, and there's certainly some truth to that. But his real issue that we found last week was not that he was in conflict with Esau, but he was in conflict with God. And and God uh, has an encounter with Jacob where he finally repents of the sin of being a deceiver, a cheater, uh, and he gets a new name, Israel, because he had now struggled and prevailed uh, in his uh, struggle with God by repenting, and he'd also overcome his struggle with men by finally freeing himself from another deceiver, Laban. So now we, we, we know that that has happened. We know that now uh, when, when I was telling people about it and what we should title last week, and, and I've even had some people say that last week probably may have its own study resource in it or at least a message, um, I would entitle last week A New Name and a Limp. Uh, because, uh, you know, a lot of times we, we, we carry that limp with us to remind us of what we've been through. Um, but we, um, 
We, we also get a new name when we're completely redeemed by Jesus. So that's all taking place. And then we get to chapter 33, and the encounter with Esau is next. I've had my encounter with God, thought I was waiting on Esau. I ended up struggling and being reconciled to God. And now this next one is happening. Now God says, now it's time to meet Esau. Now don't miss that. See, there, there, some of you and me, we may be in a situation where, where we need to reconcile a relationship with somebody, and, and what God is saying is don't attempt this till you get right with me. Don't, don't, don't run off trying to reconcile a situation in your life, especially with another person, if you haven't first reconciled the issue between you and me. Get right with me before you can get right with anybody else. Amen? So that process has taken place. Jacob is different. He does have a new name. And what he didn't realize is that God loved him enough not to let him encounter Esau till he had first encountered God. Take that away. Write that down uh, if if you're writing. So now Jacob, uh, in verse 1 of chapter 33, guess what he's about to see? It, It clearly says this. Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and you remember last week, and 400 men with him. That's a daunting sight, isn't it? Here comes my brother, who the last time I saw him said he was going to kill me, and just as my messengers have reported back to me last week, he's bringing with him 400 men. You, you have to admit, it's, it's kind of hard to read that as anything positive. When it's you and two maidservants who are female, two wives, and a load of kids, and, and a bunch of livestock, and some folks that kind of help you with your livestock, and you're going to take on Esau, who's the leader of the Edomites, with not 400 people, not 400 animals, 400 men. And uh, so you can see how that would look. And let's read what happens next. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with the children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. So let's unpack those three verses. There's a lot going on here. He Jacob joins his family as they travel. Jacob sees Esau and the entourage approaching. Uh, it is official, as I said, that Esau does have 400 men. Jacob responds by dividing the family among the wives. Now, notice the first time when Moses is just documenting this, he lists them in order of the timeline, meaning Leah, she married him first, and and then then and then you get to uh, to to walking down the line. But when Jacob actually does the arranging, he doesn't arrange them that way. Moses first just tells you how they came in the timeline, because he's documenting this for us, inspired by God. But but when he gets down to the action that Jacob actually took, not just the information for us, Jacob arranges them in order of his affection. He's prioritizing who who is most important. 
and 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 I, and we'll get to the credit that he gets. But when it comes to his family, here's how he arranges them: slaves first. These are the, these are the maid servants that he that he also had children with. Then Leah and her children. Then Rachel, and then Joseph. So what you see is he's telling us through this that even though, and this is heartbreaking, and I, and I feel so bad, I went, I went home and, and, and Sherry and I were talking about this, my wife. I said, you know, I just, I just continue to feel bad for Leah through all this. And, of course, Sherry, if you don't know Sherry, Sherry is, uh, is very straightforward. And he said, well, she should have thought about that when she agreed to lay down with somebody else's husband. And I said, well, now, her daddy – made her do that. I don't know how how much say she had in that. And she goes, you mean to tell me she didn't have any say that she shouldn't have said to her daddy, I'm not doing that. So, you know, our actions have consequences. And I'm like, yeah, right. But I still kind of feel bad for her. She goes, no, I understand what you're saying. But, you know, there was, there was a moment where Leah could have said, I'm not going to be part of this. Now, I don't know in that culture whether that was allowed if your daddy told you to go do something. Maybe, maybe not. But I feel bad for Leah for this reason, no matter what the circumstance was, because, and, and Sherry did too, um, even though she had worked so hard to get Jacob's affection, she gave him six sons and a daughter, Leah was still unable to gain that emotional attachment that she so craved. She just couldn't do it. it, it, it that connection just never happened. And here, just imagine how that felt. When, when you look and, and she sees Jacob arranging this, and, and it's so obvious that he's putting these family members in order of importance to him, if, if Esau and the 400 men decide that this is going to go south. So um, Jacob's family is, is divided up, and, and Joseph is the only son mentioned by name. Don't miss that. And we're and we're going we're going to see that happen again when when this encounter with Esau actually happens. Remember, remember, Jacob is a new man now. Jacob has had his encounter with God, but there's still a process of Jacob being refined. As with all of us, you know, we're we're justified, but then there's a process of sanctification. I hope that all of us are growing, and we can say. There's some things even after my redemption I struggle with that I don't struggle with anymore. But do you remember the day that you were finally redeemed, or the or the or the or the timeline in your how and your in your life that you were redeemed? I remember the great statement that was made uh, to me by the first pastor that ever discipled me. He said, "As of today, you are still a drunk and a fornicator and a violent man who just decided." that you want Jesus to forgive you and you're sincere. But today, you're just a drunk, a fornicator, and a violent man who just asked for forgiveness. That's all we got today, and that's a good start. But, man, we got a lot to work out because now there's going to be the process of changing who you are, and that's a process. So right now, guess what Jacob still needs to work on? And it's going to come back to haunt him. You think these other sons aren't watching this? You remember what happens with them later on? We'll get to that. He's building the resentment against Joseph right now because he's playing favorites. And all these sons are watching. And and he sees that they're just mentioned as sons, and they see that he's mentioned as Joseph. 
And we see Joseph, by the way, at the end of the line, and we see us in the number two spot, Dad. Stand up here with our mama. We see that. You think that's not building resentment? So we got to be real careful of these kind of things on how our family sees us if we decide we're going to start picking favorites. You're creating animosity that you're going to deal with future. Now, now uh, most of us on this room, I see two guys that may not be old enough. Anybody remember the Meineke man? You can pay me now or you can pay me later. Remember, hey, keep that maintenance on your automobile because you, you can pay me a little bit to keep the maintenance on it or you can pay me a lot when this thing breaks down. That That's that concept. Deal with these things now or they're going to be a lot more severe later. So so watch this build and, and us having you know all of the scripture. We know where this is headed. Uh, so, but I will say this: one thing we have to say that shows the new name. Need a little work there on 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 the favoritism of, of your sons and, and and your wife. But one thing that has changed about Jacob: the last thing he does after he puts them all in order, he places himself in front of them. Now that we got to give him credit for. Peniel had changed him. He has a new name now. He's Israel now. Jacob would not have placed himself in front of everybody and said, well, I'll be the first one, and we'll see how bad it is. The way he arranged his family, still got some work to do. But the way he placed himself in front of them is showing a new man. And 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 he, he is not Jacob the deceiver anymore. And then Israel bows seven times before Esau, and this is saying his blessing, if you remember, think about this, okay? When we try to do things the way we want to do them, and not the way God said to do them. God, all, hey, God is always teaching. Eight years we've been talking about that in here for you new, new guys. Okay, you got to get where you where you look at your circumstances, and you have to say to God, "What are you teaching me? What was part of Isaac's blessing to Jacob? Nations will bow before you." But when, 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 when Jacob decided to deceive his brother out of this, guess what God's got him doing today? You're going to bow to Esau. I'm going to make sure you got this lesson. God will do that. He's a great teacher. You know, he's a great – nope, like my wife says, nobody teaches like the Lord. You think Isaac's not thinking uh, – I mean, you think Jacob's not thinking to himself, wow, I'm bowing to Esau after all. Yeah, but now, now our nation's going to bow to the lineage of Jacob. They are. Remember, they're going to they're really bow to Joseph. But as of right now, God wants to be sure that Jacob is fully repentant and he's learning the lesson that you do it my way. Even though I forgive you, there's always consequences because, with me, man, sin always matters. And doesn't mean it can't be forgiven. But you, you can't just flip a switch that it doesn't cause any problems. So this is, uh, we now have the son of the covenant, and God has set up a scenario where Jacob has to bow to the leader of the Edomites. And by the way, they'll be problematic down the road. The Edomites, they're, they're not good people. So now let's look at what happens in verse 4. This is a big, big moment. You ever, you ever been in this situation where you got you you got a meeting with somebody coming up and you are not thrilled because the last time that you were with them it was bad, and you want to reconcile with them and you've tried to send that message 
And you're trying to show them you want to reconcile, but guess what? We can never control somebody else's actions. Can't do it. You ever been in that situation? I can control how I respond to you, but I can't control how you respond to me. There's nothing I can do. That's where I got to have faith. That's where I hope I'm prayed up. I'm just saying, God, help me. I hope you've softened his heart. Well, apparently God had. Look at verse 4. But Esau. Remember that word, but, I told you to always look for? But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. What, what, what a vision. Boy, how do you think that felt to Jacob? How did it feel to have somebody so angry with you, willing to kill you? 20 years goes by, and you see them for the first time. In 20 years, they got 400 men with them. And you think to yourself, and the ball's in your court, and you get no animosity whatsoever. Esau's lack of animosity toward Jacob, the word but, instead of Esau saying, today's the day that I avenge your deceit, today's the day that I kill you, Today's the day my 400 men kill all your wives, all your children, and take your livestock, which was a possibility. And he had the he he brought the crew to do it. Instead, and only God can do this. He ran, he embraced, he hugged, he kissed, he wept. How beautiful is that? Could there have been more of a 180 on the action that Jacob thought he was going to see? He had wrestled with God, and now he's embraced by Esau. He had wrestled with God, and now he is embraced by Esau. No matter what it is, no matter how right we may think we are, Esau decided, even though he had absolutely been wronged, Esau decided that reconciliation with his brother was more important than his vengeance. He, over 20 years, God had, had, had worked on Esau to where he said, I would rather reconcile to my brother than kill him. And 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 you you think the way Esau acted, he had been waiting on this opportunity for the for all, for, for a long time. We don't know how long of the 20 years it turned. And this is this is the moment. So here's here's the thing that we gotta watch when we're studying the word of God. Do I have your attention by saying that? Here's something we got to watch, something I've had to watch, something that God has taught me. This whole time you think you're Jacob. You're probably Esau. You're probably the one that's been wronged and you won't forgive somebody. You're probably the one who can't wait 
to get back the people who have wronged you. You're probably the one who wants to hold it against them because I just don't understand what they did to you. You're Esau. You're not Jacob. You're Esau. And you just need to be done with it and reconcile yourself back so you can be, for if for no other reason, be right with God. Do you think, which you're going to see here in a minute, do you think that Esau doing this means what Jacob did was okay? No, God dealt with Jacob on that. That's what you got to understand. You think God's going to let somebody get away with something that they did to you if it really is sin and it really is wrong and you really were a victim? He's not going to let that go. But what Jesus Christ said when God decided to become a man, what he said to us is don't you ever deny forgiveness to people that I didn't deny you. Because I am Esau and you have mistreated me. But I forgave you when I didn't have to. And not that you were worthy to be forgiven by me. I forgave you because it was I had the right to do it. And I loved you enough to be to offer you to be at peace with me. Could we be at peace with Jesus without him running to us? Without him embracing us, without him hugging us, without him kissing us, without him weeping over us? No, the situation between us and God was totally up to God to re- resolve. We couldn't resolve it. Right now, if Esau doesn't want to resolve this, it's not going to be resolved. And everybody's going to be dead. Joseph included, your little favorite. But Esau, but God forgave us even when we didn't deserve to be forgiven. So if you're going to live your life and I'm going to live my life only forgiving people that deserve it, well, I'm certainly glad Jesus didn't take that attitude with me because I'd still be going straight to hell and probably already be dead because that's what I deserved. And that's the reason why I get so frustrated when people start saying, well, I I just don't think that's fair. I don't think things are fair. Be real careful hoping for fair. Because if we're going to all go fair, then we should all go to hell because us not going to hell isn't fair. I'm glad God isn't fair. I like that he's just. I like that he's truth. I like that he decided to forgive us even though there's nothing that we brought to the table that should warrant such forgiveness. So I don't really want it to be fair. So you may say forgiving this person is not fair. So what? Forgive them anyway. Because it's right. And if you won't do it for them, do it because you love God so much. Because that's the example that he gave us. By the way, in David and Goliath, you're not David either. You're Goliath, just so you know. Uh, so let's 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 now look at, uh, at verses five through seven. Verses five through seven. 
So now Esau's going to turn his attention to Jacob's family. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and the children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant, staying in the humble position. Verse 6, Then the servants drew near and uh, and their children and bowed down. 7, Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near and they bowed down. So Esau is asking the question of Jacob, who are these people? He likely knows they're connected to Jacob, but he wants to meet his family, and, and Esau wants to be uh, introduced to his brother's family. He, he introduces them, Jacob does, and of course, again, in order of, of, of his um, uh, affection, and, and because he's only going to name Rachel and Joseph and Leah. All three of them get named. Everybody else does not get named. They kind of meet Esau in general. Verse 8, Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? Talking about all the things he kept sending him ahead of time. Jacob answered, to find favor in your sight, to, in, in the sight of my Lord. So now Esau wants to ask, ask about all the people he's been sending. Um, now Esau is asking about all this stuff that Jacob has been sending him, all the presents, all the stuff. He's wanting to say, what, what is this all about? And he wants it to be clarified. Now, why does he want this to be clarified? He, he, is, he is asking about it because he has not acknowledged. This is Esau's way. Don't miss this. This is there's still don't I think there's not some friction. Remember, sin always matters. Everything's going well, but remember, even when you're reconciling with people, there's gonna be things that are kind of say, I just kind of want to be sure I understand this reconciliation a little bit. Okay? It may not be completely clean. There's going to be some things you have to work through, right? And Esau's doing that. Notice he's not acknowledging that he's accepted the things that Jacob has sent him, and that's important because he wants to know what is the intention of these gifts. Before I accept them, what's this all about? You know, have you ever been in that situation? Um, it was I was laughing uh, with one of the members of, of the class, and I was talking about somebody they know really well, and they were they were very appreciative uh, of of what has God has been doing with them in this class. This has been a few years ago, and they kept saying, "I want I want to give you something. What do you what do you, what do you need?" And I said, "I don't need anything." But but I, I what, what do you mean? I, let me do something. I said, no, this is not, I'm studying the Bible with you. I certainly don't need to be given a gift for that. It's, it, I benefit from this more than anybody in this room, more than anybody watching, anybody listening. But I want to do something. I said, that don't, you don't, I don't need anything. So all of a sudden, one day I get a call from my wife, and she says, some guy's dropped a pair of shoes off here on, your po- on our porch. And I'm supposed to, I said, what, what do you mean a pair of shoes? He said he wanted to give you something. He was dropping you off a gift. So what did I do? I call this person. I say, what, what, what's up with the shoes? Most comfortable shoes you ever wear. I said, I don't need any shoes. And he said, but I want you to have the shoes. Will you please just take them because I can't get it. I want you to have some sort of gift. I just want to say thank you, and I don't think I said thank you enough. 
I said, but you have. But So what's the intention of the gift? The intention of the gift is that it, it will make me feel better. Then I'll take them. Thank you for the shoes. I had to get clarification. What is this all about? What does this all mean? Does this mean now I'm obligated to give you some shoes? You know, where, where are we going with this? Because, 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 because in, in this culture, understand in this culture, it was terrible form for me to give you gifts and you not give me some. Terrible. That was bad. You know, matter of fact, if let's say for instance that uh, Benny is one of the members of the class, in in the, in the, in the, their culture, okay, if if you said, hey 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 Rick, do you know so and so that might could help out? You know, one of my kids, um, like maybe talk to so and so and see if you can't get them into this uh, opportunity with this company they're excited about. Sure, I know I know them. I'll do that. I call over. Maybe it's college. And because of my relationship, your kid gets in college or gets this job. Well, in that culture, you got to do something for my kids. Okay, you, you, you. There, there had, there was always an expectation that that would be reciprocated. Something would come back, or it was considered terribly rude. So that's why, what Esau, you know, what Esau's really asking is this: you admitting you were wrong? Because I want to know what these gifts are about. Is this you acknowledging that what you did is wrong, and then if I accept them, then we're clear? Because I just I want to be before I accept it, I want to know what I'm committing to here. That's really what he's asking, okay? And and that's all right, but just know that's what he's asking. And Jacob then doubles down that they are presents, even saying this is where the this was the clarification he's looking for. Even saying these gifts were intended to find favor with you, my Lord, my older brother, and they are just a gift from you, your servant, from me, so that I could get back in good standing with you. And that's all Esau needed to know. So that's what this is about. That's what this is about. You know what Esau's trying to figure out? Are you sincerely apologizing to me, or are you just hoping I wouldn't kill you? I want you to tell me honestly what these gifts are about. To soften me or to apologize to me? And Jacob says, to apologize. So that's been cleared up, okay? But look at 9-11. Esau not so easily bought. Uh, he, he's going to ask some more questions. So Esau said, um, what did you um, – he went through this in, in, um, in, in I'm sorry, verse 9. But Esau said, because he already said to find favor, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, no, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and Esau took it. Now, now what's going on here? So now if Esau, back to what I just said in the culture, Esau says, if I accept these gifts, then I am now obligated to forgive Jacob being a gracious and forgiving brother. I'm saying that I accept that these gifts, that we're done, we're back good. It would be like God saying, I hear the sincerity of your heart, 
I believe it. I believe you've truly repented, and I will now redeem you. I will forgive you. You see the gospel playing out here? Okay? I, I will forgive you. And and he and then Esau says, now I have enough. And you, now let me tell you what that's about. That's just brothers. You know what Esau's saying? Hey, you burned me? I did pretty good too. Okay, it wasn't the end of me. God's blessed me pretty good too. I got a lot of stuff too. So if we're going to come play the who has the most stuff game, I got as much stuff as you do. I, I've done okay. You didn't leave me destitute. This little thing you pulled, I overcame it, and God still blessed me. I got. I don't need this. I'm not going to take it because I need it. That's just brothers. Can't you just hear it? I'm not taking it because I need it. I'm taking it because I don't want to rob you of the blessing. You've asked me to take it. You've asked me to forgive you, and you said if I take this, it means I forgive you, and this is your way of saying you apologize. I accept it. But know that I don't need it. <laughs> You're not giving me stuff I need. You're giving me stuff to, because of our reconciliation. So he, he's saying that you, 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 I'm in good shape, and Jacob proves that it's all heart, heartfelt, and he calls it the gift, calls it his blessing. Jacob is making it clear he's not trying to buy Esau's favor, but he's truly saying that he's sorry for what he did. I'm grateful uh, that you did not seek revenge, and you've treated me well when you did not have to. That's that's true apology, by the way. Have you ever had somebody apologize to you and they left, and you're like, I, I think that was an apology. Uh, it, it wasn't overly apologetic, you know. Hey, look, I didn't mean to make you mad, uh, but obviously I did. Okay, okay, that's now that's now you're basically saying I was unreasonable to be upset about it. I don't know what you're mad about over this. Didn't mean nothing by it, but I if it bothered you, then I'll then I'm sorry. Not not a great apology because that makes you it look like I'm unreasonable that you really didn't do me that bad. But you're only doing this because I'm too I'm I'm so sensitive. I've overreacted, so now you want to. Just give me an apology because even though you've overreacted, you seem to be mad even though you shouldn't. So, but so, hey, I'm sorry. That's not a good apology. Jacob is clarifying, I was wrong. I'm not trying to buy your favor. This is from my heart. You are my Lord, my older brother. I showed you disrespect. I'm giving you the respect you should have always had. These are gifts from me to say Nothing else other than I'm sorry. And that's how you apologize. And then Jacob flatters Esau. Seeing his face is like seeing God's face since you accepted me. Where do you think he got that from? The, the, the encounter with God. He said, look, I saw God's face. I just experienced being accepted by God. Esau didn't know this. But Jacob is comparing uh, the two experiences and is saying Esau's kindness was very godlike. The way you're forgiving me and, and how kind you're being to me reminds me of God and how kind and forgiving he's been to me. That's a great compliment. Jacob pleads for him to accept the gifts as a way of making good and acknowledging that he wronged Esau. And then Esau does what he's been waiting on. I accept the gift. What about that great feeling? We're good. 
Have you ever had that? Have you ever had to look at somebody and say, okay, so are we good? I, I just had a conversation like that a minute ago. It wasn't anything major. It was just something that I knew that that me not being able to do what this person wanted me to do, I said, I, I, I'm going to have to say I don't think I can do that, but what about this? It's not exactly what you wanted me to do, but I can do some of what you want me to do. And I literally said to the man a moment ago, before I hang up, are we good? Are you upset with me that I'm not going to do the whole thing and I'm just going to do some of it? Is, are you upset with me? Or are we okay? And we said, we are good. The reasons why you can't do all of it, I understand, and I agree with you. I think you're doing the right thing. I wish you would do everything I asked of you. That was what I wanted, but I certainly understand why you can't, and I'm not in disagreement about you deciding you can't do all of it. So we're good. We're good. Isn't that a great feeling? Now, what we don't do is tell people we're good and then not be good. Now, you can't do that. I've seen that, too. So we're good. We're good. A few days later, you know, so-and-so was really mad at you. What are you talking about? I thought I said we were good. And, and so don't lie about it. If, you, if, if you're not good with something and somebody asks you, tell them you're not good with it. No, I'm not good. I still got a problem. You know, it's uh, like I said, I remember one time, very funny, some of you that are, are closer to me in friendship know me longer. You remember this. I remember one time that my wife knew that God wanted her to do something concerning somebody that uh, that she had a real problem with. Do you remember this one? Real problem. And uh, you know I keep using the example of Jonah. And so Sherry knew that she needed to go and talk to this person and actually lead them to Christ. And she didn't want to because she didn't like them. And her experience with this person had not been very good at all. And she said, but I know that's what I'm supposed to do. But for a time... I would come home, and I would say to my wife, been to Nineveh yet? And you know what she would say? Still in the belly of the whale. <laughs> but, I, but I'll get there. But I'm just not there yet. But then she eventually got there, and, and, uh, and God did pour out his grace on everybody involved. And through Sherry's obedience and a mighty God, the person uh, sought redemption, and, uh, and that was good. Now, does that mean that, you know, we see this person a lot and Sherry's all chummy with them? Doesn't mean that at all. But what it does mean is there's no animosity. You know, it's 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 over. So, um, but that that was honest. Been to Nineveh yet? Nope. Still in the belly of the whale. And you may stay in the belly of the whale for a little while. But just don't say that you're not going to do what God told you to do if, if it calls for reconciliation and forgiveness. So let's look at verses 12 through 14. Then Esau said, Let us journey on our way, and I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are frail and that the nursing flocks and the herds are a care to me. If they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks are going to die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant, and I'll lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me and at the pace of the children until I come uh, to my Lord in Seir. Uh, so apparently what's going on here uh, through 12 and 14, Esau, uh, they've ended the gift conversation, and he wants um, uh, them to, to leave together. Esau said, look, I'll lead the way. Uh, we're going to go on to Seir, um, uh, but Jacob 
was told by God to go to Canaan, so Jacob knows he doesn't need to go to Seir. So he's trying to find a gracious way to say, I'm going to take a pass on Seir. I, I, that's not where I'm going. But he's just reconciled to Esau, so that's kind of awkward because Jacob says, you know, his family and my flocks, they're, they're slow. It's too much burden. Have you ever done that? You don't want to just tell somebody you don't want to. You're hoping that the, something you present will make them agree with you. Okay, I understand. Well, y'all, y'all just come go with us. Well, I mean, and really you just don't, you can't because you got other things or whatever, but you don't want to hurt their feelings. You know, hey, you now I have told my kids sometimes because I've often thought that people didn't mean it when they said, y'all come go with us, that one time let's actually start getting our luggage and just watch them freak out. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, y'all come on, go with us. You know what? I think we will. <laughs> We're going. Uh, how about this? Kids, pack your stuff, all five of you. We're going. And uh, and then people are like, whoa, wait, wait, wait a minute. But, um, but in this case, Jacob is trying to graciously say, I just, I, that's not where I'm going. I got to get back to Canaan. Uh, so he starts out by saying, I don't want to be a burden to you. Y'all need to move on. It's just you and a bunch of guys. I got all my wives. I got my kids. I got the livestock. Y'all can move a lot faster. Don't let me hold y'all up. Y'all just go on. Okay. And he's hoping. He's so hoping that Esau is going to abandon the idea. But in 15, that doesn't happen immediately. Esau says, let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. Hey, I got 400 men. I'll leave some with you to help you. But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. Now, now this is a big moment. Jacob has to kind of be a little more blunt. You ever been there? Esau doesn't want to give up the idea of them traveling side by side now in peace. You can see where he'd be there. He's thinking, man, we're reconciled now. Let's don't get reconciled and not see each other again for several years. So he offers to let some of his men help Jacob move everything quicker. Uh, And then Jacob finally realizes, all right, this route's not going to work. I got to get direct now. And you know what he's saying? There's no need for me to go with you to Seir to prove that we are good. I need to move on, and honestly, I just need to know that we're good. And I think Esau apparently gets it when when he says it this straightforward. It does the trick, because look at 16 and 17. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir, but Jacob, uh, he he journeyed and and went on. And uh, so he's going to go... Uh, to move, this place is called Sukkos. Uh, and when you look at the the name of it, and I'll tell you more about that. Uh, he uh, so he went to Seir. Jacob did. Jacob journeyed on to Sukkos and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Sukkos. Or if you look at the Hebrew, it means booths. This is where he built these booths, and you've heard the festival of the booths and all this. Um, He is building these. Apparently what Jacob has realized about his group, we got to stop. I got got women. I got children. I got livestock. We got got to land somewhere for a while. Esau, you roll on to Seir. I'm going to stop over here at Sukkot, and I'm going to stay here a while to give all my group rest, okay, and then 18 and 20. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. And then he is he's on his way to Padan Aram. And, um, and so he camped before the city. 
and from the sons of Hamer, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money. Uh, this is this is a, a if you look down this money it says here in English it's it's something that nobody really knows the value of. Uh, it's it's called uh, uh, kezias or cases. It's it's some sort of of value of silver, but no one really knows what the value of it is. It's really a currency that no one really seems to know too much about. It's only in the Bible three times, and they really don't know the value of it. But anyway, he got a piece of land on which he pitched his tent, uh, and then there uh, he, uh, he, he erected an altar, as we see from him, and, uh, and he did this to El uh, Elohe, Israel. And, and what it means with this altar is, this is kind of cool, what he is calling it, is this is a um, this is now going to be an altar, and it is here in honor of the God of Israel. And he's talking about that he's acknowledging that his name's been changed. He he's he's he stopped for rest, then he made it all the way into Shechem to the land of Canaan, and then he camped there, and then he bought some land uh, from. Um, the sons of Hamer, Shechem's father as well, and and he bought this land. Now understand, when we get to 34, we got a real major problem coming, and what you see Moses telling us here is that he's letting us know that Jacob has brought his family to live among the Canaanites, and he's telling us who these people are, Shechem and the gang and his sons, and as you know, when we get in chapter 34, we're going to have a, a run-in with these people that's going to get ugly. So it's it's really the great narrative in, in, in world history. Moses is saying, let me, let me set you up for what's coming next so you know where he is. So we got problems coming in the next chapter, but let's focus on the good here. Jacob is home. He has fulfilled the vow that he had made when he left that Yahweh would become his God. He, he, the name of the altar, uh, it, God, the God of Israel, proclaimed his new relationship with God, marked by the change of his name, Jacob, now to Israel. El, Elohoe, Israel. God, the God of Israel. This is who I serve, he has changed me, and I am putting down an altar right here to praise his name and publicly acknowledge he's changed me and I belong to him. Have you done that? Has that happened? Does that happen in your life? You're still wavering on this? Or, or can you honestly say you, you, you've, you've either done it or, or today's the day you do it, to where you say, I have wrestled with God. I have acknowledged I was wrong. I have sought his forgiveness. I have given to him the gift of my life that, that he bought on the cross. He has changed me into a completely new creation. And I acknowledge to the whole world for everyone to know that I serve the God 
of you. He, he's the God I serve. He's the God that changed me. And I acknowledge that he's changed me. I acknowledge he's given me a new name. And I tell the whole world that he changed me and I serve him. Have you done that? I mean, if I were to ask people about you, would they say, well, I'll tell you the God he serves. He's made that crystal clear. Or is there some kind of wavering still? I, I, I think I'm, I think I'm going to serve this God, but I'm kind, I'm kind of weighing out all the other options first. I'm not sure I'm really ready to die. I'm not sure I'm really ready for the new name. I'm not sure I'm really ready to seek true forgiveness. Is your attitude still to God? I mean, I mean, obviously you keep telling us to forgive. I don't know what I need to be forgiven for. I'm a pretty good person, but I guess, I mean, if I need to do this, I guess I'll say, okay, I'm sorry. That's not repentance. Thomas Watson said uh, true repentance is the vomiting of the soul. You recognize yourself as wretched, and you say to God, I have done you wrong. I acknowledge that I've done you wrong. And I come to you calling you Lord and saying that I am your servant, and I'm asking you, to forgive me. And Scripture tells us in Romans 10, 9, and 10, and many other places, if you, if you do sincerely believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you are not. And you leave faith in self, and you leave your authority, and you, you hand your authority over to God, and you repent of your sin, and you say, I sincerely want you to forgive me because I acknowledge I've done you wrong. The Bible says it is with the heart that one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Have you done that? Why don't you do that today if you haven't already? Let's pray. Lord, we do. We take this time for people either in the room or, or people who are watching this or listening to this. If, if this is their day, Lord, just as Jacob was not looking forward to the day of facing Esau, there's many that have not, that are, that are, they're kind of uncomfortable with the thought of facing you one day because they know and we know that we've wronged you but you've made it so clear that you're willing to forgive us if we just simply acknowledge that we're wrong. And we need your forgiveness. And we've tried to do things under our own authority, and we keep messing things up. And today's the day we want to come under your authority. You are Lord. We are servant. And there's really no better place to be. I pray, Lord, if those who are crying out to you right now that... Um, They'll hear from you in their spirit that you have heard them and that you forgive them and that you have run to them and that you have hugged them and you have embraced them as they weep on your neck and you weep over them and you've kissed them and you've forgiven them. And I hope they feel that wonderful feeling. Uh, Lord,
Lord, I pray for those that have made that decision today for the first time or maybe the first time that they've truly ever meant it. In your name we pray, amen. If you've made a decision like that today and you'd like to, some help on what to do next, rick at burgessministries.com. Thanks for being with us.